It's normal moaning resumed. Here on the Owls America, Sheffield Wednesday opinion with an American accent. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and we have two rather turgid, we'll come up with other synonyms along those lines, I'm sure, as the night goes on, Wednesday performances to discuss this week. So I'm, uh, I'm expanding my horizons. I made a little roasted salmon and braised Swiss chard for dinner tonight and did not feel like opening a bottle of white wine, but I did have a bottle of sake open, so I'm drinking Tiku Junmai Ginjo Sake, which is clean and balanced with slight uh, pear notes on the finish. It uh, never gets the job done. Helping me get the job done and recapping two inglorious Wednesday performances this week is, of course, Patty Jones. Patty, what are you drinking? I swear your um, drinks get more and more elaborate every single week. Um, today, I'm drinking a American India Pale Ale called Heaven, Hell, or Hoboken. It's from uh, 902 Brewing Company in New Jersey. It's very good. Also on the line in his closet in Manhattan is our Manhattan Owl, James Allen. James, what are you drinking? Hey, Jeff. Um, I'm drinking water, um, but mostly because I made an unscheduled pit stop in Grand Central on the way home to uh, to visit the Mikula uh, beer bar, which means I'm uh, I'm two uh, two Mikula double IPAs to the good. Uh, one of which was called All Bar, and the other one was called Chin Up. So I'm feeling quite jolly at the moment. Um, although that may just be a function of the two beers aforementioned. This is the new Mikula bar in Grand Central. Uh, it's it's a bar that serves Mikula in Grand Central. Will that uh, will that do? Yeah. Oh, definitely mm. will do. Yeah. And we round out our foursome this week out on the West Coast with Mike Laroon. Mike, what are you drinking? Hey, good evening, fellas. Uh, tonight I have uh, from Yakima, Washington, the Rambling Root Hard Apple Cider. This is from the uh, Teton Cider Works of Yakima. Very excited. And um, also, I saw the agenda this week, and I just wanted to thank you guys for inviting me on to, to meet John Harks. I'm a big fan, um, and I'm super excited to, to meet him. Yeah, just to be clear, this is not the John Harks podcast. If uh, anyone here is expecting to hear the John Harks podcast, you go down one on the queue. <laughs> this is the Bolton and Darby podcast. You don't want this one. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, oh, Mike. Jeff, I'm out. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'll speak to you tomorrow then. John hey, guys, John, I mean, if we could have John Harks about... on for every episode, we clearly would. This is not the John Harks episode. He's not on the agenda. On the agenda, however, a 2-1 loss to Derby County, a win against an absolutely rubbish Bolton, a whole lot of Wednesday news. It's been like three weeks since we did a regular show, so we have a lot to catch up on. Likewise, a lot of dispatches from American soccer, breaking MLS playoffs news, and the usual Owls America's news and meetups for the Blackburn game this weekend, which we will also preview. We will start with a review the Darby County game, Fernando Forestieri, Lucas Jow, Marco Matias, all back into the squad. Rejoice, everyone. And a uh, bouncing off that, an up-tempo start, even James. Yeah, you know what? It's funny, isn't it? Kind of uh, maybe a couple of beers to the good and an hour speaking to John Hawks yesterday just makes the, uh, the world look different, Jeff. But um, I'm looking back fondly on that first half against Derby it was um, I thought an actually pretty uh, well actually I'm going to go even more positive I'm going to say that actually the performance overall against Derby on Saturday wasn't that bad and, and the first half in particular was was pretty good by the last five minutes um, and certainly the first half hour or so we you know we, we played a pretty positive I wouldn't necessarily say up tempo but you know at least probing um, game against Derby we didn't I thought they looked pretty ordinary in, in, in all honesty and um yeah, we you know our attacking players were were kind of to the fore, and Barry Bannon was um, was playing some incisive balls. Adam Reach, um, you know, backing kind of the groove in terms of kind of uh, you know really moving left to right and and kind of upsetting the uh, the Derby defence. Uh, yeah, Wednesday as a whole, I thought looked pretty good with that lineup, and and the first forty minutes, as I said, was um, was pretty pretty encouraging. But then there's the last six, Patty, and we can see the difference between a team that clinically finishes and whatever the heck the 2018-2019 Wednesday squad is. And despite, as James said, a bright first 45, it's 2-1 Derby at the half. Yeah, and it's just, 
it was a bit of a kick in the guts with it because we had been playing okay, I thought, in the first half an hour, and then that six-minute spell around uh, what was it, 30-minute mark, um, and they go ahead with I thought it was a good move. Uh, Fox got nutmegged by a back heel, but I mean it was a decent back heel at least. And then uh, Hector got turned over, and they just um, placed the back post who was left unmarked. And I mean, usually Wilson, he thought, gets nutmegged by any manner of back heel, so I guess that's an improvement. <laughs> Fox could get nutmegged by himself. The whole city squirrel can nutmeg Morgan Fox, but um, unfortunately, this well, fortunately this time round, I don't think I'm going to blame him too much for that one particular um, the move. I thought it was a really good move by Derby, and it was incisive, and it was a clinical finish. Um, and I don't think there was much we did wrong in that move. Um, it was a bit disappointing, obviously, because. Um, we had a good start, and uh, I, I think um, Reach's goal um, was, was, pr- was pretty good. I think uh, Bannon, as James said earlier on, um, had a good game. It was a great ball over the top of the defence, where it was kind of like statuesque. The defenders uh, just looked over as it looped over them. Uh, and he brought it down pretty well and placed it rather easily past Carson. So at that point, I was um, feeling a bit positive. Um I thought that Fessy, Joao, Matias linked up pretty well in that first half. It was just like I say, it was um, Derby's. I'm, I'm not. I'll, I'll let someone else talk about the second goal of Derby because I think that's more typical Wednesday. Uh, but I think uh, up until like uh, the first goal went in, I was feeling pretty positive. Mike, would you like to talk about the second goal that Wednesday gave up? I will in a moment, but actually I want to go even further back to the beginning of the game. Um, Zhao had this really nice, um, I guess Lee's passed it up to Zhao, who had this really nice early opportunity where he actually, you know, had a couple good steps on it, dropped, you know, just spun the defender around, dropped him. He had really good control on that, fired an Aaron shot that went off to the left, but it was, um, and like everybody else, it was, this is kind of the, the swashbuckling that we had, we had hoped. It was like kind of the antithesis of the anything to not lose the game against uh, in the Derby previous whatever it was two weeks ago um yeah the marriott james marriott goal um that's his name sorry um yeah a really soft goal and it was it was the epitome of what we've seen with a lot of the bad goals we've given up this year which is just a bad clearance from hector that went nowhere and um other than back into our own goal so um a rather unfortunate way but that is if you were going to predict how the game would have no longer been uh tied that's probably would have been guess number one I think we've got like a wheel of misfortune in the um, in the dressing room before the game. We just spin it before the beginning of the game, and it lands on a player, and it's them who have to make the mess up that that particular um, game. Because it happened in the Bolton game too. Uh, it's happened in push every single game this season, where we have the absolute howler, at least one, sometimes more than one, absolute howler by a defender um, who just gives it to the other player, and usually they score from it. Um, that's just our luck, really. But I mean, some of the mistakes in my defence this year has just been unforgivable. Uh, this one from Hector, I don't think was particularly as bad as some other ones, but it was still pretty bad. Uh, and he's kind of got done on the second ball as well. So, yeah, the wheel let's, of misfortune. Let's, let's talk about that wheel of misfortune, then, Paddy. It's because, always a good sign um, when we're like ranking horrible defensive mistakes, and we can't even figure out if this one's going to make the top ten or not. <laughs> Well, that's kind of where I'm going, Jeff. It's like it's November, we, it, James. It happens so frequently, right? I mean, it's it's it it's not just every week. I mean, it you know, there's there's a predictable pattern every game where there'll be at least two or three howlers. And, and as I was saying earlier on, you know, I thought first half Wednesday played pretty well against Derby. You know, we we look like a an average Championship side of of good caliber. I thought that as um as you were saying, Reese took his goal really well. We created some other chances, and then you look at that kind of just silly kind of petty defending where we can't clear basic balls you know and we kind of do those those kind of half kicks that uh, end up with us falling on our ass and uh, and them slicing through us it is it a wheel of misfortune or, or is it just kind of just something wrong or off in the mentality of the squad that they're not trying hard enough or you know because th- these are these are solid so, professionals right with the with the derby against united um that was a game where as i said they were doing everything they could not to lose and you saw them just smashing the ball out of bounds they weren't trying to clear it they weren't trying to get it past midfield they were just smashing the ball out of bounds for the whole time possession was all for that game it was at our end the whole time but there were no huge mental lapses in that game and that's the only that's the only connection i can make there is that when they are focused and they just do not want it out but yeah it does seem like when you get to these and i don't know if they're trying to go for breakaways or yeah they get the laxity as call it Every single game that is these these lobs that 
almost like jump balls to start a basketball game or something. I think it's that. It's focus. It's, it's about focusing, and uh, the focus for uh, the, the derby game against United was to not concede again. Um, so rather than than mess about on the ball, they just cleared it into the stands. Now, for me, if we did that every game, I'd be quite happy if it meant us um, reducing the amount of errors we make on the field. So I'm all for booting into the stands. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because if you go back to that derby game that we played back in January, the first of the nil-nil ball draws at Bramall Lane, um, you know, that kind of set the precedent for then a run we went on where we, we just ground out result after result. And, you know, we kind of built on that um, to hell with everything else, just defend from the, you know, for, for hell's sake and um, and maybe we'll snatch a goal principle. And it wasn't pretty for a month or so. And then, then the team kind of slowly built confidence back. But it feels like we didn't, we didn't kick on from that. You know, the, the kind of after the derby this time round, we played derby, which is confusing to anybody. Uh, derby for uh, for our, at least Evan, uh, who's not here tonight. Um, we, you know, we, 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 it was just like, like you were saying, Mike, like we were trying to get back to some kind of clever setup game, which just leaves us looking silly. Um, and maybe we just need to go back to basics. Maybe, maybe that's the fundamental about this squad. It's not capable or at least not ready to do anything other than basic football. Oh, we can't defend or we can attack, right? That's what that's what the thing is. So you can you can almost guarantee you can almost like predict what's going to happen based on the formation he picks. So if we go far at the back, we're going to start playing some good football, and then uh, we'll probably concede three by stupid mistakes. If we go five at the back, we're not create anything up front, but we might not concede as many goals. It, it's it's that predictable at the moment. I just feel like it's a basic set. level of focus for a professional veteran football squad in a competitive league in Europe is like the least you can ask for. Like I wouldn't mind if they were just getting like none of these games, the Derby game, even some of the some of the worst losses, and we back to like QPR and and before the previous international break where you look at and think we just got blown off the pitch. There's been a couple games like that this year. But you know, the Derby game wasn't like that. You know, some of the these kind of like 2-1 losses, they tend to you know, just find a way oh, no. to drop I, points I, from winning positions. It's like, just, like, they can't do a job. And I don't know if that speaks, I think there's like, there's probably more than, than one factor in play, whether it's tactics, you know, the amount of squad rotation, the players maybe not playing for the manager. But at this point, it's just like, get a result. That's all I got. I don't feel like that's too much to ask. I think we were we were just blown away by the simplicity of your analysis there, Jeff. Well, it's, it's like it's just, it shouldn't be like Derby is a you know a team with eyes on promotion. Obviously, you know they're a it's a good squad, and you know when they had the opportunities to take advantage of Wednesday mistakes or had clear cut chances, they took them. And there's sort of you know if we want to shift to the second half now, when. Wednesday sort of, I think, even grew into the game more in the second half as, you know, Darby sort of it didn't park the bus but did not seem particularly interested in doing much more than defending. You know, Wednesday had their opportunities and didn't take them, James. Uh, no, I mean, look, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the exemplar of that is, is Nando, right? I mean, you know, in that situation 12 months ago, at least 18 months ago, you just set us na- nailed on goal. Um, you know, he's he's kind of basically clean through, and and just kind of he tries to get get a bit too clever and just nudges it past the post. But yeah, I mean, we we carved out what two, three really good opportunities in the second half, and and you know, one of those goes in, we get it on face value at least in terms of chances created and um, and kind of the overall performance, we get a creditable draw. But you know, Forestieri can't put it away. Neither can Morgan Fox when it was probably easier to score than hit the post. But, you know, I'm, I'm actually not having a go at him there. You know, it's a good chance. He, he doesn't quite get on the end of it in the, the way he intended. But, um, yeah, with, with one or two other kind of half chances, we, we, we should have got a point out of that game. Um, it, again, it just comes down to this point. You know, lapses of concentration, silly defensive mistakes, things that you don't really credit a team at this level doing repeatedly week in, week out are, are just... They're costing us points all all over the shop, and it, you know, I, my, my instinct is they're they're a symptom of something. I, I can't put my finger on exactly what it is because I don't know what's going on in the dressing room and, and around the coach. But there's something that just isn't working that's leading players of better repute to make mistakes that you know, frankly, they shouldn't be making at this level. I mean, to be fair, we can argue when and 
why Morgan Fox should be in the squad, but it's probably not to bat goals. Unfortunately, he keeps finding space in the box. Doesn't he? That's, <laughs> that's a couple of um, times like, that he's missed from a yard out. And it's like the basketball player, you know, you can't, no, can't make three-point shots. So you just leave him alone <laughs> at the edge of the arc. Just leave I mean, uh, Morgan Fox alone three feet out and... His positioning at left-back is dreadful at best of times, but his apparently positioning in front of goal is fantastic. He can't seem to get away from the ball in six-yard box. But um, at that game, um, I think he was all over the shop again. He, he's, he's so often caught out uh, looking at the ball, out of position. Um, it, it's, just, it's just a poor player. Uh, whether that's low in confidence and whether we'll see the best of the game, I'm not sure. But I think both of our pullbacks had a, had a, had a bad game um, against Derby. And I know... Ash Baker's still young and learning. Um, I don't want to get on him too much, but you see moves die regularly when they go wide uh, in this current team. And it doesn't really matter too much who you have at right back, for instance. So Palmer is not great going forward, as we all know. Uh, Baker, obviously, still learning the ropes. Fox um, is actually getting good positions, but hasn't got the quality to deliver anything. Uh, Penny, I think, is probably the best of the options at left back going forward. But we have so many promising moves to start with Reach and Bannon and um, even Pelopesi in midfield and as soon as they look to the left or the right to go on the wing it just dies nothing happens because it's either a bad cross and we saw that a few times on Baker on uh, against Derby um, or it's, it just goes off his knee and goes out to touch it's it's just without replacing the fullbacks this season we're not going to go anywhere I mean I think it's pretty clear we're not going anywhere one way or the other but we did move on to a Good three points. Any three points are good at this point with our midweek game against Bolton. Uh, Fessy out of the squad, probably not quite ready for for two games in three days coming off a knock. Fletcher back in, at least for a little bit. Penny and Thornley back in as well. Mike, is there an argument for actually just picking a goddamn formation and a starting 11? I may have uh, asked a leading question there. <laughs> Well, I, I think somewhere in my in my notes, I have written down one of my favorite all-time quotes about the Cleveland Browns, which is, if you're looking for a common thread, it's probably the lack of, lack of consistency. And yeah, that's, I don't, you know, when I see Stephen Fletcher coming and going, I see Fessy coming and going. Um, yeah, it's just time to, let's just, I was thrilled with the, the, the starting lineup for, for the Derby game. And um, yeah, here we go again. So don't know, really know what to expect, so. Yes, let's pick a lineup and stick with it. Which brings up the age-old coaching question, does the coach know his best 11? Right, and the funny thing is when I saw the lineup, I'm like, oh, are they going back to like a a, a 5-3-2 now with three center backs with, with Thornley, Hector, and Lees and, and Penny and Baker as wing backs? I think that's their best sort of defensive alignment. Like there's no other way. No, of course it's 4-2 four, four, or probably like a 4-2-3-1 a, uh, with... Thornley at left back and Penny in midfield. And it's just kind of like, okay, like this hasn't worked really since switching to four at the back. And not that it mattered because, I mean, I saw a great tweet from somebody. I don't, it was one of the supporter groups. It might have been like North Yorkshire. I was like, this is like one of the worst teams I've ever seen at Hillsborough in my. 30 years of going there. Also, Bolton was pretty bad, too. <laughs> and that just puts, sums up the game. Yeah, games. I mean, can we can we just talk about just, just how bad that first half was? Oh, my God. Um, because, I mean, look, here's the paradox, right? You know, we, we're, just, we're talking about the Derby game. We're saying that, you know, this was a better Wednesday performance. And if we take our chances and we're not so damn amateur at the back, then we get we get a point out of the game. And Derby are a team at the upper in the upper echelons of the championship. We can argue about how good they are or not. I didn't think they were particularly special, but you know, certainly the media thinks they're uh, they're promotion candidates. We come up against Bolton, who were dreadful. I mean, you know, literally can't score for Toffee. Um, I think they scored three in their their previous ten games, and you could see why they had nothing going forward. You know, really, really uninspiring team. But in those first forty five minutes, with that team change and kind of. It, there, there was just nothing from Wednesday. No urgency. There was no organisation. Even quality players like Bannon are misplacing five-yard passes. I mean, that, that, that first half is up there with as bad a game of football as I can remember seeing. And we've seen some pretty shambolic football from Wednesday over the last 18 months or so. Um, and we've certainly had more shambolic moments in, in not-too-recent history. Um, but it, it was just absolutely 
absolutely appalling. I mean, you know, neither team looked like they really had any clue about how to to construct an attack, let alone to break down an opposition. <laughs> Bear in mind, you know, the, even the the kind of the the crazy idea of trying to score a goal. And um, yeah, they looked like two teams at the very very bottom of the uh, of the division. Um, so you know, we can talk about the second half, and um, obviously we'll we'll get on to how we got a result out of it. But that first half is incredibly worrying for me on the on the principle in terms of just how much we're changing the team and, and just how uninspired that group of players look. I was watching the game at work, and I probably shouldn't say that out loud. Whatever. I was watching the game at work. Like I almost just wanted to work during the second half. <laughs> It's like, I'm just well, going to work now. Jeff, I, I was watching the game in the, in the football factory and I uh, I took to working during the first half <laughs> uh, as a uh, as an offset for trying to watch the game. Answer a few emails. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was looking for emails to answer. They did get a goal in the second half. Uh, you know, uh, fair enough. A, a little bit of quality off a set piece. A nice whip ball in from Pelopesi. Flick tetter from Tom Lees. You couldn't you know, draw it up any better on the training ground. And 1-0. I mean, finally, yeah. right? Sorry, it's like Tom Lee's finally gets a hit on target. How many of those has he missed? So uh, I'm just very happy for him. That I think Pelopessi has got a good corner on him. So uh, we should be getting more goals from set pieces. Um, so, yeah, I'm very happy. I think he had a good game, Tom Lee's. I've, I've been his probably harshest critic this year because I've told him he should get out of the team and <laughs> drop his captaincy. But credit where it's due, I thought he had a good game on, um, on Tuesday. He does seem a lot better with sort of Hector there as a sort of a more imperious figure sort of cleaning up and roaming forward and sort of like, I don't want to call him a sweeper because that's like a pundit cliche, but, you know, that kind of sort of uh, more marauding center back type that sort of just allows Lees to fill in the gaps and, and do his thing. Um, Wednesday, of course, did their thing, and that is a huge defensive lapse as Matthias essentially put Bolton in on a three-on-two <laughs> uh, and nothing, I think, better characterizes Bolton's season than the fact they couldn't even score off a Wednesday defensive lapse like every other team in the championship has this year. Yeah, uh, best thing... Uh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I was, was going to say, at least, at least they had Clayton Donaldson up front, who, uh, who it turns out, after his brief aberration of being half good at United, has, has gone back to being pretty damn awful. Was he trying to... I couldn't um, even figure out what he was trying to do. Did he, was he trying to lob Dawson there? Did he just scuff it? It was very unclear. The ball went nowhere near the net. I think he was trying to lob the Presto stand, to be fair. Um, yeah, it was sort of like one of those kind of like who can piss highest contests. But uh, did I read a crazy stat like he hasn't scored in 21 games or something like that? I mean, it's uh, it's like, you know, he's a striker, but he doesn't seem to score any goals. So, you know, but Sign I, I kind of pity Bolton. Gary Taylor-Fletcher. Yeah, they fit really well. Him, him and Adi Newman. So, now, the best thing about that play there was Dawson's reaction afterwards because you could just tell he was livid and it wasn't just pointed at Matthias I think he was livid with the uh the whole backside there but it was great he was he was all over it um I would also point out that the first half um I think it was uh Amiobi for uh Bolton had a long range strike from uh from about midfield that Dawson stopped but if you go back again go back five seconds you can See those all based off an errant pass from Hector, which should have followed our script. If that's the ball, it should have gone in first. But nonetheless, I think um, very fortunate. Those were two pretty bad mistakes. Yeah, we, we, do let, we do like to let Sammy Amiobi run at us as well. I think we, we, we were saying. Is it uh, Sammy? I honestly had watching. no idea which Amiobi it was, but it's 2018, and neither Amiobi should be probably uh, cutting you open <laughs> yeah, like that. It's, it's Sammy. I think the only one who's still playing professional football, Jeff. But also, has sure got to be playing Paul in like China gets to play like two games of exciting football a year because everybody else closes him down but when he get, gets to play against Wednesday they just back off him and let him run and, uh, and take long range pot shots so we were quite fortunate he targeted that one straight at Dawson Hang on I'm looking up if Shola Amiobi is still playing uh, who last played ah it's disappointing yeah he hasn't caught on with the club this year he was at Notts County last season Signed a look yeah so uh, with that breaking Shola Amiobi news, we'll take a break. <laughs> when we come back, we'll run down a litany of Wednesday news, give you an update on the MLS playoff situation, preview Blackburn Rovers, and get you all the meetups and Owls America's news you need to take you through the weekend.
Now it's time for a bit of Wednesday news, and we start with a uh, a photograph that has been going around since the Bolton match, James. Yeah, well, pho- photograph or video, depending on whether you're uh, you're looking at it briefly on Twitter or whether you're watching the highlights back. But um, it, so yes, last night we won a game of football, which hasn't happened in seven games, so we should be pretty uh, pretty chipper about that. And Tom Lee scored a lovely header from a Pelopesi corner. We should be happy about that too. There weren't that many Wednesday nights there. Um, you know, a certain degree of apathy maybe about recent results, also the fact it was absolutely tipping it down in Sheffield. But when you watch the celebrations of the uh, the Lee's goal back, um, Nuhu, who'd come on in the first half for an injured Stephen Fletcher, um, both appears to, and I think when you watch it, it pretty much definitely does, cups his hands to his ear and, as if to say to the cop, you know, what of it? You know, what let's be having you. I don't know, you know, Delia Smith parlance. It doesn't look altogether... Uh, players and fans in unison is uh, is probably a generous way of interpreting it. And I guess, you know, the, the debate that is now raging on social media is, you know, was Newhu having a go at Wednesdayites? Was he trying to raise the spirits, you know, after the goal? Was he kind of being a bit of a rabble-rouser? Or, or is that perhaps emblemic of, you know, of a set of players that have kind of detached from this club and, and maybe just simply aren't engaged with what's going on, you know, maybe aren't enjoying their football in the way. And I, I'm kind of curious, actually, what, what everybody thinks about this, because I, on a personal level, when I've seen cultures in organisations go bad, you know, the, these are kind of the dynamics you start to see, right? Staff turning against management, management turning against staff. There's just, you know, th- things kind of fall apart all over the place. And it tends to result in some of the uh, mistakes and lack lack of attention to detail that we've seen across the team in, in recent games. So, you know, w- w- what's the general kind of consensus? You know, do, do we think this, this group of players are enjoying their football at the moment? Are they enjoying their time at Sheffield Wednesday? Or, or is there some, you know, the malaise in the fan base, is that crossing over into the playing squad? Well, I think there's a couple of things to unpack here. Uh, Newhew especially has always had a bit of a, a contentious relationship with the Wednesday fan base uh, for a number of years now at this point. you know, it was, I think there was a, was it the, a Brentford game a couple of years ago where he supposedly gave him a bit of the business walking off the field. There was the, the interview he gave after his hat trick uh, at the end of last season. Uh, he can be a little, a little prickly, and I think some of that's fair. I mean, you've got to be able to give as good as you get, I think, as a, as a Wednesday fan, and God knows we like to give it to the players when the when the results are there, we don't think the performances are there, but, you know, sort of like in American football, uh, you can sort of see the signs when a when a team quits on their coach is sort of the sort of the phrasing there. I don't know if that's what's happening here. Like, it's not a disaster. This isn't Ipswich, who, by the way, are somehow six points behind Bolton this season. Imagine such things are possible. Um, but it doesn't, you know... They're saying all the right things in the media sessions. You know, Barry Bannon, especially, I think, has been out front saying you can't, you can't blame the manager for this. We're the, you know, we're the ones kicking the ball. We're the ones putting in the performances. But it does feel like something's just not quite right, even in a different way than it was towards the end of the Carlos era. Like the Carlos end of the Carlos era was fairly easy to diagnose what was going wrong. Now it just seems, I don't know. I think the way you put it, sort of just sour is probably the right word. Well, to make this a little bit even more vague is, yeah, I think that we have a team that doesn't really have an identity. We have a team that I think we're, I'll say it, I think we're going to be bouncing around between 13th and 17th position uh, most of the year. And that's fine. We And if you're that team, you should know who you are. And you're the team that should be, as we've stated with these you know, recent reviews, taking a stab at, you know, at doing what you can against the teams that are in the playoff spots, but the teams that are beneath you should be going after them. And we're not doing that in either case. We're just, you know, twice, twice this year I've been on and I've talked about great performances that were in losses and then also these miserable games that we won. Um, so I think when you have a lack of identity, you have this fluidness at the, the lineup changes all the time, which is maybe coaching, maybe injuries, all of the above. I think that it's this frustration from everyone. It's like, who is this team right now? I mean, if you're Matt Penny, I'll use him as an example. I don't know Matt Penny personally, and I'm going to do some like bad sports commentator psychological projection. So be forewarned. If you're Matt Penny, you've broken into first team football for the first time in the uh, team that you 
you know, basically grew up with in the area, played youth teams, you know, getting your first uh, real run out, winning player of the month, putting in great performances. Um, I'm all for, you know, signing a new contract. I'm all for squad rotation, but they've really jerked him around a lot. You know, they're playing him in midfield some weeks, left back, then left wing back. They can't sign in a formation. Like, and his performances have suffered, I think, and I don't know how much, like, it becomes very difficult to diagnose. Like, is, is his struggles recently just normal sort of, you know, first season young player adjustments? Is it he's getting moved around from spot to spot or not getting consistent playing time anymore? Um, is it he's not enjoying his football? I don't know. Um, I think it's more likely the sort of the former things I said than the latter, but it's, you know, it's really tough. You know, Thornley is not getting a, a, a consistent run out. The only real guys that are sort of like first name on the team sheet guys are at this point, Hector Lees, Bannon, Pelopesi of all people, uh, and Reach. And that's, that's sort of the spine of the team, which I guess is, is fine as well as it goes, but it just, it feels like there's a weird edge to them. Um, yeah, edge is generous actually, Jeff, but it's a good description, which is to say that there's something that doesn't feel, um, I mean, you know, we, we we can't escape the contrast, right, between the the conversation we had last night as we we're recording this, and and obviously for those who are listening um, on the separate podcast with John Harks when he talks about the camaraderie of a of a successful dressing room and just the the kind of the ease and the the comfort and the the integration that you have between those players when teams are successful versus what we're seeing right now, which is a team that looks at sixes and sevens with each other. You know, they just simply don't look like a group of guys who know how to play football with one another and. I've I've got to pose the question because we've been, we've been dancing around it and, and maybe we've been a little bit too kind of um, a bit too calm about it recently. But you know, given the intensity feeling in the fan base, I mean, you know, do, do you pin this on the manager? Um, in which case, do you essentially say that maybe this coach has has failed in his task of of motivating and integrating and organising these players to be at least you know equivalent to their potential as a sum of parts, not necessarily you know, out outstepping the expectations we have of, of this team this season, but at least being credible. Um, or, or is there some other dynamic at play? You know, so so is this down to Yoss is, is what I'm really saying. I think at the end of the day, um, Yoss is to blame for how we're playing, right? He's he's picking the team every week. He's picking a different team every week, which is not helping at all. And the, the fans are seeing that. The fans have lost confidence in Yoss. Um, they're seeing uh, the, the team change every single week. They witnessed that first half against Bolton. How on earth, if New Year is really cupping his ears because he wanted more noise from the fans uh, during that first half of Bolton, then he's, in, he's delusional. I mean, no, no one's going to cheer that shit. It was awful. So for New Year to cup his ears to the, to the cup after that woeful performance is just completely uh, not in touch. Uh, with the fan, is 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 drawn a line in the sand between the players and the fans, because he's now saying, he's essentially saying that we're doing our best, and you should cheer it, and that's clearly not the case. So when you start putting that line in the sand, then you're going to have a revolt on your hands. People are going to get more angry towards you. They're not, not going to warm to you for trying to. Um, g, g them up when you've been as poor as you have for that first fifty minutes of the game. That's that's not going to happen. So I, to me, it was completely out of line for a new you. If that's what he meant, and I think that's what he meant. We've seen him do something similar before. I don't have a good answer for the for the manager thing. I will say before we went on air with with John Hart yesterday, I was <laughs> with James looking up random managers in League One that are doing well just to uh, see if there's someone out there to poach. I, I think there is always going to be a, a disconnect between a manager with, with Yas's style and sort of the Wednesday fan base. Like, Carlos was very easy to embrace until it went bad. Um, you know, Stuart Gray in his way was kind of kind of even sort of lovable in his own sense, um, even if the, you know, the football wasn't much better than what we're seeing now. But, like... If Joss was getting the results, it wouldn't really matter. Like the end of last season, we came out of this podcast and said, "Oh, great run of form, 
he seems to be starting to get a feel for the team. Everything seems to be coming together. Absolutely, you know, go into the go into the summer, have a full transfer window. Little do we know there were no actual transfers to come, uh, in at least. But sort of even from the from the outset of this this season in the Wigan game, just it's all gone wrong. And I don't think that's solely on Yas or, or solely on the players, but this is, you know, ultimately a results game and a and a in a short-term outlook for any uh, soccer team, so this is this is this is where we are in November. They're uh, I think they're 14th on the table. I don't look at the table until Christmas. I think they're up to like 14th or something. Uh, six points off relegation, eight points off six. It's you know it's a championship table at this time of year. But I don't think any of us can look at these performances and really have anything to hang our hat on where we're like this you know i like i don't enjoy watching this team and like this podcast so I, I, for those that don't know i also do a i do a mets podcast every week which is even sort of more analytical and wonky than this one uh, and this was sort of my respite from that where it's like this can be my fun sort of other thing sports thing that i do and it's become to the point where it's like i just don't enjoy watching these games i like i if I hadn't, if I didn't know I was going to have to do this podcast in the middle of the week, I probably would turn the Bolton game off after the first half. Yeah, and I, I think can... that's pretty much the attitude of a lot of Wednesday fans who decided not so much to turn it off after the first half, but just not to turn up in the first place. Um, this, this, this is a fundamental problem, right? I mean, you know, we we knew this season was going to be tough because of uh, you know the the way we'd approached the couple, last couple of years and, and obviously falling short and the FFP challenges that we talked about before a ball was kicked. And we, you know, we, I think we accepted even in our preseason preview, that this was probably going to be a middle of the road season at best. I think the problem is that there's such a disconnect between what the club is stating as its ambition, which is still this, you know, we hope to get promoted this year because on the QT, if we don't get promoted this year, it's going to get really bad next year. Um, and what is so self-evident to what we're seeing, which is that this is not, it's not a side that's even, you know, remotely ready for, for contention, for, for getting into the top six. I mean, you know, we, we've seen that a couple of seasons prior. We know what that looks like and, and this ain't it. Um, but there's just this kind of stonewall silence from the club in terms of accepting our, our current position and, you know, and, and engaging and communicating with the plans, so with the fans. So if you then engage, if you overlay on that, uh, the attitude of the players and the attitude of the manager and and the the constant change. I think it's no it's no wonder that the response is apathy at best and anger at worst, right? Um, and that, that's just, it's just a very dangerous cycle for us to get into. So we, we we've got a long way down this wormhole, and there's there's no straight answer. The fan base is going to debate this, and we'll we'll see how things go at the weekend and next week and so on. But it's they're precipitous times for Wednesday because there's a real risk that people are going to switch off whole scale for the rest of the season. Um, and you know things are not going to be any better next year at the, the way it's heading at the moment in terms of some of the choices we've got to make. Just to wrap this up before we actually go on to the news segment, as listed out as Patty's furiously trying to cut things in the agenda right now for time. Um, I think if we were in, you know, as Mike said, sort of bouncing between 13th and 17th place, but actually playing the kids and like the defensive lapses were more understandable and not from like the more tenured players and like I don't mean to to uh, sort of draw a circle around him and make him sort of responsible for all of these negative feelings but like just Joey Joey Pelopesi playing every game I think is and he's not awful he's not a terrible championship player he's probably below average but fine as a squad player but just seeing him in there like every week is just like what's what's the actual long-term plan here um you know the team that's going to get promoted out of the championship someday somehow god willing probably doesn't have joey pelopesi as a meaningful part of it so what are we actually learning you know some of these you know youth players that Yas was supposed to blood, you know, outside of Baker and Penny, you know, Nielsen's disappeared, Fraser Preston's disappeared, you know, what are we actually learning about Marco Matias, who's out of contract at the end of the year, like he's, again, he's fine, but there's just nothing to get, 
you know, there's nothing good in the present and we're not even really looking to the future. So what's there to get excited about? One thing to get excited about, the uh, All Wednesday DVD is on sale <laughs> as of December 10th. Eight whole quid, Patty. I was going to wonder how you got out of Let's try to do something else. <laughs> I was like, well, you got dark pretty quickly. Yes, rejoice. There's a Wednesday film and not about this season on sale. Eight pounds. Uh, so no, eight pounds? Is it eight? It's ten pounds, eighth December. I got that wrong, sorry. Um, I'm just reading uh, what you put in the agenda. I know, that's my, my own fault um so if you're based in the u.s like us then you have to order that the second it goes on sale so it gets in time for christmas otherwise you have no chance um i think it's great and uh, it's all going to charities right there's, there's no profit being made here they're going to um make the dvd all the profits going to charity so well done on the club well done on matt eikerson for doing that it's a fantastic film i urge you all to go out and buy it for christmas uh, i'm pretty sure it'll fly off the shelves and there'll be no stop time i get home on the 15th of december other good news, Adam Reach, once again, uh, every month, just, we can just put this, you know, make a note on this for uh, December as well, Patty. Uh, Adam Reach has been nominated for the October Goal of the Month. And uh, some international duty news, since this is coming, our first podcast coming off the international break. Uh, Stephen Fletcher got back on the score sheet for Scotland after a couple of years out of the squad. That's nice to see and helped... Uh, Scotland get promoted in the Nations League from, I think it's like C to B. I don't actually know how that works. Um, you know, New Hughes Kosovo also got uh, promoted with a win over Azerbaijan a week and a half ago. And the most important news from the international break after James trolled me a couple weeks ago, talking about the new Borokov hat trick, uh, Borokov Classic got a first half hat trick for the Bulgarian under 19 squad james uh yeah but um i mean you know is he the young borokov or is he the over the hill borokov there jeff i mean you know these 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 are the choices we've got to make right because they can't both play in this uh, this illustrious wednesday side was this a 10 minute hat trick this the, the, that one or was that the yeah it was guy? a 10 minute one yeah this guy is awesome we should put putting him in the yeah, team why not it's not, he's an absolute unit have you seen him it's great we he's should definitely monster. put him in the team. Let's put him on the squad Flood some of the, uh, flood some of the, uh, the younger players. Oh, Patty, what's the Sheffield Wednesday Red Bulls rumor? I don't even know oh, what this is. I'm going to spot two Red Bulls football <laughs> club. I'm living the dream. <laughs> um, so there's a rumor that went around on Twitter, I think, earlier this week that uh, Red Bulls are looking to buy uh, Sheffield Wednesday, and that, this is something that gets banded around pretty much every year with Red Bulls. Uh, whoever's struggling in the championship or sometimes in the Premier League, there's rumours that Red Bulls are looking for our English club to buy. And uh, this time it's our turn, um, which is fun, isn't it? Um, obviously, this is probably bullshit. Um, but I just thought it was interesting um, because being a New York Red Bull season ticket holder and a Sheffield Wednesday fan for 25 years, this is um, pretty fucking weird if this happens. Do you think... So, let's answer this question. As a person that's not a Red Bulls fan, all you three, is, is this a bad? Is this a bad thing? Do you think if they did take over, would you be pissed? If you look at uh, the success uh, that like RB Leipzig <laughs> has had and Red Bull Salzburg, and I guess even New York Red Bulls. I mean, there's no playoffs in European football, so we're probably fine. Um, I mean, they're all corporate ownerships in in one way or the other. I mean. I guess Chancery yeah, is just it, a guy it, with a lot of tuna bucks, but... You think, why not? Um... <laughs> <laughs> their track record's very good. <laughs> yeah, they have a, their track record's fine. We wouldn't have to have these people saying, you know, the supporters wouldn't get up in arms saying this is an outsider who knows nothing about the game. Um, again, I think it's complete BS, too, and as I voiced when discussing the agenda earlier today. But, um, sure. <laughs> People get angry about this, though. I mean, I had people uh, messaging me saying that I would never watch Wednesday again if uh, Red Bulls signed them. Now, if if they, okay, honestly, if they took over Sheffield Wednesday, so we're going to down the dream dark hole by the moment. If they took over Sheffield Wednesday and they said, okay, you now call Sheffield Red Bulls, you're going to play in red and white. Yeah, fair enough. We'll walk away. Okay. Yeah. If they just, if they just took over Sheffield Wednesday, kept everything the same, but we're, we were able to use the network of um, players, teams, scouts, then. It's probably a better 
owner than Chan Seo, if I'm honest with you. It's a bit unfair of you to name and shame Paul on this podcast, Paddy. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I I think people just have a little bit of a reaction about the fact that it's a corp- it's a corporate entity. I mean, they it's easy for people to kind of rationalise, you know, wealthy individual who's made their money in in a corporation. Um, they find it harder, I think, when that's just a faceless corporation. They can't connect back to the individual. You know, in this case, the uh, the obviously very wealthy owner owner of the Rebel Empire. They want um, someone to yell at think- the fans for him, James. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think people, you know, they they just find that kind of connection hard hard to stomach. But um, there's also this kind of premise of being part of a chain of clubs. You know, do you, do you, do you feel the same connection to to your hometown club, to your community, if if you're just part of a franchise system? I, I, you know, big big questions. You know, philosophical questions. I, I think that's why you you see some of the reactions that you have done when that rumor surfaced. All I will say is, you know, when these things crop up in the media. Um, certainly business development transactions it's usually because one side or the other is trying to get press and coverage for the fact that they're interested in in, in making a deal somewhere um I, it would be pre- pretty curious if that was the way that Dayfon Chancery wanted to signal that he was open to offers for Wednesday um especially given that I think where did, where did the rumor actually crop up the Sheffield Star um you know, it looks to me much more like Red Bulls uh, kind of indicating that once again they're in the market for a championship club and kind of floating the idea of Wednesday rather than there being anything tangible behind it. So I don't think people need to get themselves too, uh, too het up about this one. If it does happen, there'll be plenty of grist for the new fan productions that are coming out in the, uh, in the Sheffield Wednesday orbit. You know, we have the Owl Sanctuary podcast had their first episode this week uh, featuring an interview with Chris Waddle. Uh, we saw a if you know, if you subscribe to this podcast, you got the first episode of Owls about Stat uh, in your earbuds last week as well, and uh, the triumphant return of War of the Monster Trucks as well. Uh, not to mention, of course, those two old podcasts, the Wednesday week, and yours truly, Patty. Yeah, it's a really good week. James put out um, a tweet, and maybe James played best speak about this. I found your tweet, uh, the reactions to your tweet, hilarious. Because you basically put out this as a kind of positive thing to celebrate for being Sheffield Wednesday fan. You said, look at all the amazing things we're doing. We've got a DVD out that's made by a fan. We've got these podcasts that are made by fans. We've got a fanzine again. Print, woohoo, all being great. And the responses you got from that, I was... It took me all my energy not to argue with every single one of them because it's like, oh, they're all shit. Oh, what a load of rubbish. Blah, 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 blah. What about results on pitch? So what you're saying like, is New Hugh has a point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like cupping my, I was cupping my it, ear. It, it took all of your energy, Paddy. Honestly, it took every ounce of my being not to go after every single one of those negative replies. I mean, look, you know, here's the thing, right? This was pre the the derby game on Saturday morning, and I was kind of looking back on everything that went out last week, and you know, genuinely, it's incredible. And you think about just think about the opening for this podcast, right? If you if you're still listening right now, you've sat through you know 40 minutes of us basically chewing the fat on a pretty abysmal time to be on Wednesday, right? and yet in the middle of this kind of current malaise or or apathy or disenfranchisement or kind of depression or whatever else. We're doing, we've got fans doing these amazing things. I mean, we've sat through the, the All Wednesday screening, and it's it's beautiful. It you know literally brings you to tears and reminds you about the incredible thing that is being a Wednesday. And you know, last week we heard from the Owl Sanctuary. I think their first episode literally dropped today, which is hopefully going to be an incredible interview with Chris Waddle. I can't wait to hear that. And they're, they're doing some amazing stuff with some you know truly uh, truly inspiring Wednesday fans. You know, across the artistic community in Wednesday uh, in in Sheffield. Um, you know, we we dropped the John Harks interview yesterday, and and you know, just that, that's not blowing our own trumpet. It's go and listen to it because you just hear about how this guy at the height of American soccer in the nineties fell in love with this club, Sheffield Wednesday. You know, we we've got an amazing bunch of fans to celebrate, and I was reflecting on that, so I put it out as a tweet. And then you get all those replies about, you know, it's it doesn't count for Jot because we aren't winning every single game. You know, uh, it doesn't matter if we're not the the best. You know, it's all about the results, and and it isn't. Because if it was all about the results... Have you watched the, the last you know, 18 go, years of Wednesday exactly, football? Exactly, <laughs> and you could go and support any other team. Go and support the team in Sheffield that's doing better right now. The point is, you're a Wednesdayite because you're a Wednesdayite, because you accept the ups and downs and because you embrace the community. And what I'm actually quite grateful for, Paddy, is actually if you look at the ratios, you know, I don't know, 250 folks, it's not a lot of likes, but it's enough likes to tell you that a lot of people feel the same way. 
and actually the negative comments probably add, add up to I don't know a couple of dozen maybe a couple of dozen idiots. Um, it just does just indicate though that those that voluble minority who who ultimately want success on a plate, you know that they are dragging the club in a different direction right now, They're dragging the fan base in a different direction. And we have to overcome that. So we should celebrate what Matt Exton has done with All Wednesday. We should celebrate what the Owl Sanctuary are doing with their series of podcasts. Um, and, you know, uh, try and find the positives, the silver linings in this season. And we end on a bit of a somber note as we lost former youth coach Kevin Austin this week after a battle with cancer. Uh, you never like to see this. It's... Uh... You know he was a he was a part of the Wednesday family, and uh, you know all our thoughts uh, are with his family, James. Yeah, um, I mean it's uh, it it feels like we're having to to kind of reflect on these things far too often at the moment. You know, people associated with the club, people people who people who listen to this podcast know and and, and work with. You know, in Kevin Austin's case, I think he was forty five and uh, he'd been you know very very active and successful in, the, in his football career. Um, you know, as a player um, at clubs like Swansea City, um, but in in coaching at Wednesday at Chesterfield at Scunthorpe, um, and you know forty five, just just far far too young, and uh, and it you know it's a tragedy, and 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 I think the thoughts of all of the Wednesday fan base are, are with his family, and it's notable just to to see how many of our current youth squad were. were affected um by his loss as well you know players who, who grew up under his tutelage at hillsborough in his time as an academy coach so uh, just just dreadful news and um yeah as you said our condolences are with uh, with his family and friends now it's time for dispatches from american soccer we head to the mls playoffs uh patty your thoughts on the first leg of atlanta united against red bulls Fucking hell, this is not getting me podcast. Uh, <laughs> Red Bulls used to be my shining light. It used to be my savior of uh, Wednesday misery. And then you get to the playoffs, and year in, year out, we get bloody mullered. Though we lost 3-0 to Atlanta in Atlanta, it was pretty bad. Um, we now have to go and beat them by more than three goals at home tomorrow. So when you listen to this, I'm probably in a car park in New Jersey, drinking my sorrows away uh, as uh, we prepare for the visit of Atlanta. Atlanta, uh, the MLS's new shiny toy. They get 70,000 people in a stadium. Uh, Red Bulls are this old, tattered kind of, if you think back to Toy Stories motif, we're the uh, Woody, the tattered cowboy, and uh, Atlanta is Buzz Lightyear, and uh, we're kind of being forgotten at the moment. Unfortunately, uh, we now have a mountain to climb from our own doing. Uh, but it's it's still doable. It's is MLS. MLS, anything can happen, as Mike will testify. I, I I still have an ounce of hope left for this Thursday night. If we if we're there to witness uh, a turnaround of uh, three plus goals in Red Bulls um, uh, in Red Bulls playoff games, then uh, it'll be fantastic. Uh, what's more likely is that we'll lose and we'll go out again in the finals before we get to the MLS Cup final. Patty, are we getting any money for that cross promotion? With Pixar for Toy Story 4? I'll um, chase their um, uh, accounts up afterwards. <laughs> Mike, what's the situation out west? Uh, well, the good news is we did not concede the away goal to uh, Sporting KC. But uh, yeah, the Timbers and Sporting KC played to a nil-nil draw on the first leg. Um, there's the half. Uh, yeah, so that was the, the half-last full side. Uh, we had 14 shots on goal. Uh, six on target so that's good we had a lot of momentum in that game it's um it just feels uh, makes me a little bit nervous that uh we're going there without uh, with it tied at zero uh it also makes me nervous i know in the, the the tie with uh sounders earlier which seems like it was two months ago at this point um there was some confusion at the end of the game as to whether or not the game was over um due to away goals. So hopefully the uh, Timbers will have that sorted out. I um, know what they're getting into this week. So um, I think uh, ESPN or whoever had the game over the weekend was happy to, to replay the last time these two got together in the playoffs, which ended in that bizarro 14-round penalty kick shootout. Oh, that um, was amazing. It was like an endurance test. Yeah. Um, couldn't be Four, 14 kicks each, right? So, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, included, there is now a bar uh, inside Providence Park called the Two Poster, which is named after the infamous kick that actually managed to hit both posts and still bounce out. Um, That's such a good penalty so, shot. Yeah. 
14 so. players each side taking penalties. It went on forever. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so hopefully they will, won't go that far tomorrow night. Um, that'll be 6.30 here on the West Coast, 9.30 East Coast. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it as well as you can. Nervous as hell, too. We head to the big club now. The U.S. men's national team finally has a coach after uh, Julian Lopetegui rumors were all abound the last couple weeks. The uh, United States Soccer Federation has settled on another New Jersey native. It all comes back to New Jersey. Columbus Crews head coach Greg Berhalter. I have absolutely no opinion on this, so I will leave it to the uh, to the U.S. soccer experts, assuming we have any. Everyone looks at Mike. <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, I was. Not, it's one of those things where you're looking at the Wikipedia page and you're like, looking yeah. at the clubs he played at, and you're like, who? What is Energy Cot Bus? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, who are these teams? Uh, no, I, I do not have an opinion other than uh, other than going through New Jersey. Everything seems to go through Cincinnati. So uh, yeah, former uh, FC Cincinnati coach, if I'm not mistaken. He does um, look alarming, like Voldemort. Um, if you if you Google Greg Berhalter. Uh, there's lots of Baltimore, Baltimore memes, um, which is the only amusing thing I can think of to say about him. So, I guess we, I guess you want actual information on Greg Perhalter, uh, please on Twitter <laughs> at Ohio L. Just uh, <laughs> I'm just going to outsource this one, so we can move to our Blackburn Rovers preview. It's another team in poor form, thankfully, a couple spots ahead of Wednesday in the table. Chance to claw back the uh, the three point gap this weekend, but uh, a bit of a diamond in the rough with Bradley Dak setting the league alight. James, uh, yeah, I've got to be honest, Jeff. I mean, while you've been chatting on about uh, you know the uh, the MLS playoffs and uh, and USMNT coaches, I've uh, I've spent the last five minutes watching the goals from uh, Aston Villa five, Nottingham Forest five. <laughs> uh, which um, what use is that, James? Not playing either of those teams. Yeah, but I was—I was, I thought it might be worthwhile just seeing how we measure up against two of the teams in the division that can actually score goals. And I've got to say, it's quite refreshing to watch teams that could actually <laughs> string passes together and put balls into the box. I mean, neither of them can defend for absolute toffee. But um, yeah, I mean, that's the standard of uh, of teams that are pushing there or there about around the playoffs. And apparently, incredibly, Blackburn are also part of that mix. So it just shows how screwed up this championship <laughs> is this year, right? I mean, Blackburn. Did, did I read a stat though? Did, did I read on that today on Twitter that there were no missed that there were no saves in that game? I, I mean, looking at the the goals, that looks about right because both goalkeepers were basically standing on the touchline while. Uh, said while there the were no were saves. There were also two yeah. disallowed goals for Forrest. Oh, <laughs> Lord, it, it, it was an absolutely insane game. But but yeah, Blackburn Rovers promoted out of League One last year. Apparently, are you know, good enough for a um, sort of you know upper upper echelon to the championship position um although as you said jeff they've come off the boil a little bit the last couple of games but you know this is a pattern that's repeated you know uh sheffield united did something similar last year where they they came up and obviously you know came with a lot of momentum which goes to show a team that's got you know a certain degree of identity togetherness a certain style of football can, can get results in the division and um despite the way that they went down in disarray two years ago um you know it's it's going to be a tricky away game for us uh, on Saturday. I'm, I've got to be honest, I don't know a huge amount about the, the current Blackburn squad. I kind of get the impression that they're a bunch of plucky triers who've, who've kind of got something a bit fused, but um, they're certainly a whole lot better than uh, than they have been in previous segments. I mean, in uh, in episodes gone by, we've had a real uh, real go at various towns around the UK, um, and Blackburn would be an obvious candidate. But I'm just going to refer you to a prior episode of the Wednesday Week, and uh, if you can find a, a ramp by one Mr. Eddie Hoyland, uh, as regards the town of Blackburn, I think that says everything you need to know about that place. And uh, let's just hope that we uh, we go there and get a result on Saturday. If we do get a result, it will be without Ash Baker in the starting lineup. So how do you think we should line up, Patty? Um, I think we need to go back to uh, Joao, Forestieri, and Matias as that, as that front three. Um, I think we did that pretty well uh, at Derby. I think we should... Obviously, we've got to kind of bring Palmer back at right back. There's no other choice. Um, I like Thornley. I like Hector. And I like Lees. And I like Th- um, Penny as the left wing back. I think we should go back to five at the back. Wing backs um, with Pelopesi, Reach, and Bannon in the midfield. So, uh, oh, that's too many, isn't it? Oh, is that too many? <laughs> that's too a 5-3-3, Patty. That's not allowed. Yeah. I, think we, I think we can win with that 5-3-3 formation. Um, I think it's successful for us. <laughs> 
Um, no, I think definitely um, go back to the five three two. Forestieri and Joao up front. We can drop Mateus. He's um, had a couple of bad games. Um, so that's what I'm saying. And I think we need to stick with that too. We need to stick with the formation because the, the amount of chopping and changing that Yoss is doing at the moment is it's good for nobody. No one's getting a good run in the team. Um, and you've seen like players like Reach and Papessi. I think they're, they're doing all right with the run in the team. Even Lee's to some extent. Um, but we need to get these players back in um, regularly now. Forestieri, I think uh, Joao up top on his own is uh, probably the best of the options we've got right now. We do have some other business this week because, Patty, we have a new New York Owl. We do. Uh, actually, we have two New York Owls, but the one closest uh, to Owls America's hearts is our um, our own Luke, who you may have missed over the past few weeks because he's been very busy with the, the birth of their new daughter. So congratulations to Luke and Lavina uh, on uh, Noah Lee. Um, Luke, we wish you all the best. I'm sure you'll be a fantastic dad. Um, and we hope to see you back on the podcast soon once it's all uh, quietened out in 18 years' time, is that? It's quite the excuse not to have to talk about the Wednesday season. <laughs> yeah, the big one to talk about babies. As mentioned at the outset, we do have a special one-hour interview with Wednesday legend John Harks that you can get, again, in this feed directly below this one. If you, I mean, at this point, you've already heard us moan on for almost an hour, you know, over an hour. Check that. Uh, about the last few Wednesday games. Uh, we also have the other special podcast, uh, Owls About Stats, featuring a Wednesday podcasting legend in James Marriott. Uh, Patty, you're starting to st- uh, trying to start up the uh, Kearney Owls. <laughs> yeah. So if anyone's listened to the, the John Arks episode yet, um, I completely forgot to mention this to him. I was actually in Kearney, his hometown today, um, at my wife's school, uh, talking to the kids, uh, as I do. I talk to the kids quite regularly. Uh, but this time, it was about their England week. They were learning about England. So my wife's American. She got me to speak uh, English to these kids, poor kids. Uh, anyone that listens to this podcast knows that my English is not the, the same best. language, Patty. What do we speak in this country? Have you heard me talk? Clearly you have. It's not that English. But the but ones it's, real, it's not the, English. They want to really the English people talk about London to them. So I read this this stupid book, right, which was borderline racist. It's all about people in bowler hats um, and people loving cues. It was the most stereotypical poor whoa, book. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's racist about bowler hats? Did you wear a bowler hat for your presentation? It's, yeah. When you say that everyone in London wears bowler hats, that's racist. <laughs> Take it that way. Yeah. What's your, can, you, can you do your best posh accent for us on the podcast? Um, it just I just spoke much slower than I do in here, so the kids <laughs> stood me. But essentially what we're getting at here is I started this chat with the, the, the first graders um, by talking to them about John Harks because there is a Carney hometown legend. I had three New York Owls badges to give away to the best listeners, and they were fantastic, and they loved it. And I actually had two kids end up crying because they couldn't get a New York Owls badge. So those kids, I have started their Wednesday um, fandom Right at the uh, bottom by crying for not being <laughs> a New York Owl fan. So uh, look out for Carney Owls in the next uh, 15 years. I haven't seen that Scott. Paddy, let me get it straight. You went into a class of first graders, you took them sharp objects and you made them cry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, my wife's very good though at making sure they don't stab each other with um, sharp objects. She's got a lot of experience with that. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> The Blackburn game might want to make you sharp, uh, stab yourself with sharp objects, <laughs> but it is available on ESPN Plus this weekend. And where are our meetups, Patty? We were also very good at uh, <laughs> limiting the amount of sharp objects in Wednesday fans' vicinities. Um, but if you want to join us, uh, we're available in New York and New Orleans this week. New York's a football factory. Um, another big shout out as well for a massive New York owl of our, uh, a good friend of most of the people on this podcast. Uh, Bianca is leaving New York so it will be our last meetup for a while uh, we'll send her off well and um, come down to Football Factory if you're in the area and I don't we'll think Bianca's going to thank us for calling her a massive owl to be perfectly honest she will, she definitely will uh, you heard her actually on the New York Owls podcast the one we did in the bar, uh, swearing and mentioning 
and she didn't rape in the first five seconds, which is not good. Um, uh, New Orleans are at Finn McCool's. Jamie's down there still. I'm not sure if anyone's joining Jamie at the moment. I've got, I've got a picture of just Jamie being in Finn McCool's on his own, drinking beer. But shout out to Jamie. Go meet him in New Orleans um, and uh, cheer him up. This has been episode 48 of the Owls Americas. You can find us on the internet at owlsamericas.com. Email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com. Find and follow us on Twitter at owlsamericas. Our podcast intro and bumpers by fellow Wednesdayites, Revenant and the Makers. The podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume the Owls Americast, we ask that you rate and review the show as it helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. And speaking of ramblings, you can leave the show a voicemail on our Days and Mumbled line at 1-401-307-1867. International rates do apply, but you can dial it for free using Google Voice. James is on Twitter, at Manhattan Owl. James, uh, if, you had to, if you had to hazard a guess, how long would it have taken Wednesday and Bolton to score 10 goals? Uh, about two and a half years. Probably of uninterrupted dire football, at which point the crowd size would have been one person having a slanging match with Adi Nuhu. (laughs) (sighs) Mike is on Twitter at Mike Laroon. Mike, uh, how would you react if Wednesday have a 10-goal thriller this weekend at Blackburn? Oh, jeez. I mean, I'd assume like they that. lose eight two. So yeah, I'm, I'm thinking more eight two. I would figure uh, if if it were ten. Well, no, that's just not going to happen. Sorry. <laughs> Patty is on Twitter at Patty A Jones and at New York Owls. Patty, your one job is to monitor the emails, and apparently we have an email. We we do have a breaking news at Owls America's guys, and it's really pertinent. It's from um, a friend of ours called John Harks. Uh, it's this about fifteen minutes ago, um, and it's, it's like he's been listening to us live. Um, he actually said to us, thanks for bringing me on, but he said very wise words, important to share the experiences and allow the fans to see things from a different lens and perspective. Sheffield Wednesday needs better management and leadership currently, but the past was brilliant. So, I mean, wise words, go listen to the John Harks podcast. There's more pearls of wisdom like that that come out of his mouth. Uh, so thanks again, John. And uh, yeah, thanks, guys. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. We'll see you back here to recap a 10-goal thriller at Blackburn, I'm sure, (laughs) next week.